God is good? And all the time? All right. Yes, he is. We are going to continue and come back around to our study in Ephesians 6. And uh, Bill, thank you once again for being faithful to preach God's word uh, last Sunday. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to the message, I highly encourage you to do so. Uh, because the, the, really the heartbeat and the title was about being salt. And I th- the more I thought about it, and he actually said this a couple times, uh, you know, if we're called to be salt in, uh, in the earth, the salt of the earth, well, you know, the sword of the spirit, being um, skilled in the use of the sword of the spirit is, just goes right hand in hand, right? Just together. So uh, we're going to continue that. We've been in this series uh, really through the book of Ephesians for several months now. Uh, specifically, the last several weeks, we've been in the armor of God. And so uh, Ephesians 6, 10 through 17, I'm going to go ahead and read those verses, says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So like I said, we've been looking at each of these pieces of armor and underlying it all is that we are in a spiritual battle. And there is a devil who is scheming against you individually, right? You've heard me say that. And for many weeks in a row, and I can ask it again. I can ask you, did you, were you aware, did you, in your prayer time this morning, put on the whole armor of God? You think that there's a need for it? You really believe that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for you to devour? Not just someone generically. If you're a believer, you. And we, we begin there because, again, What if one of the schemes of the devil is to actually get you to believe he doesn't even exist? That would be pretty good, wouldn't it? To minimize his scheming. To minimize, maybe change the word devour to mess with you just a little bit. Right? We have that sense of not fear, but need. That sense of, okay, I'm about to head out. Father, by faith, I want to put on the whole armor of God. I want to be ready. In fact, the Bible says there's, there's not just the devil, but he has a spiritual army. Right? And again, we don't, we don't go forward into the day in fear. We've been getting everything we need for life and godliness. Amen? You often hear me say we, we go from a place of victory, not for victory. We're already victorious in Jesus. Amen? Right? If you're a believer this morning, your name is written Where? in heaven. Is that an amen moment? Right? Okay. So, so we wake up 
We understand there's a spiritual battle. We put on the armor of God, but it's all from victory. It's all from strength. It's all from being indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? It's not fear and trepidation. It's like, why wouldn't I put it on? <laughs> right? It's my, it's my victory suit, really. So we've been walking through each of these, and we've got to the sword of the Spirit. And there's a picture there. Ephesians 6, 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, uh, Paul was very familiar with Roman soldiers. Many believe he was actually being guarded by a Roman soldier. And Rome, the Roman army, most powerful, best armies in history. Right? And you've seen the different pieces that we've gone through this. Uh, the sword that he's referring to, many believe it was a Roman sword called a gladius. That's a gladius. A little two to three feet, a few pounds, sharpened on both sides, tip sharpened, designed to go through armor. So when he says, take the sword of the spirit, this is the seriousness that he's talking about. And I shared with you before, how many of you, if you have your Bible here or if you're doing it digitally, put, put up your swords of the spirit. Go ahead, put it up. You see? So if I do this, that kind of changes it, doesn't it? From a book, a long book with a lot of words, to suddenly, wait, it's this? This? Is this? And suddenly, in context, you're like, wait, if I'm a Roman soldier, understanding I'm to be trained for victory in war, suddenly there's a sense like, I better know how to use this. And yet, as believers, do we have that same level of intensity, diligence, desire to use this and know how to take this up in the same way that a Roman soldier's life literally depended on him being trained up to use this? Right? This is such a powerful Word picture, because this is both offensive and defense. I shared with you before, this is, this is, close, this is close quarters. This is hand-to-hand. -hand. This is when it gets very real. Just like your life and my life is very real every day. Right? It's hand-to-hand. -hand. We're in the trenches out there. And so we looked at this. It's sort of the spirit. We saw that when you're a believer... You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, which enables you to understand spiritual things. Now you get it. Now you understand this. You have the mind of Christ, which means suddenly the light bulb went on, and you can understand spiritual things, whereas before, you just didn't get the Bible. You didn't get why people go to church. You didn't get why people sing the songs they sing. You just didn't get it. It's because you didn't have the Holy Spirit. You get the Holy Spirit, something supernatural happens, you're born again, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you get it now, you're like, oh my gosh, it makes sense. How many have ever had that moment where you're like, oh my gosh, I understand the Bible now? Anyone? You're like, I get it. Okay, why? Because now you have the mind of Christ. You've been spiritually brought to life, right? Second thing is, is that now it's called the spirit of truth. So you have the indwelt Holy Spirit, and it's the greatest thing ever because you have the, the spirit of truth. The one who's going to teach you this and bring it to your remembrance, indwelling you, okay? And then we saw that that word in where he says the spirit of truth, the word of God, that there's two words for word, 
One is logos, which refers to kind of the whole Bible. But the word for word that he's using in this verse is chema, which means a specific scripture for a specific situation, which goes back to this. When he says, take up the sword of the spirit, the word of God, he's like, do you know your sword well enough to apply specific scriptural truths to specific situations? That's rema, right? John MacArthur says this. The term Paul uses here for word is not logos, which refers to general statements or messages, but is chema, which refers to individual words or particular statements. The apostle is therefore not talking here about the general knowledge of scripture, but is emphasizing again the precision that comes by knowledge and understanding of specific truths. Like Jesus did in the wilderness, we need to use specific scriptural truths to counter specific satanic falsehoods. You got to be skilled. You got to be skilled. You got to know. You can't just speak in very generic, broad terms. Well, I believe the Bible. Okay, so do I. But what does the Bible say about this situation? I've shared with you before when people come to me for counseling or have questions, first thing we do is we, we, we search the scriptures, not my opinion. We search the scriptures, we look for scriptural application, and then we help implement that. We look, what does the scripture say about it? Let's look at it. Let's ask the Lord, seek the Lord together about how you need to implement scriptural truth. That's, that's Rema, right? So, so we ask ourselves, okay, so last time we were together, we're like, well, if this is a sword of the spirit and we're in a spiritual battle, the question is, why are we so unmotivated? Why aren't we just like eating it up? Why aren't we out there training, Right? When I was a youth pastor, children's pastor, we called it sword drills with the little kids, right? Sword drills. All right, first one to find this verse wins a piece of candy or, you know, or questions about the Bible. How many books in the Bible? 66. How many in the Old Testament? Okay, she knows because she's my wife, but everyone but her, she's not going to say. How many books in the Bible? 66. How many in the Old Testament? 39. How many in the New 27, right? 339. Three times nine is 27. Little wink, wink, hint. 66 books in the Bible. 39 in the old. 27 in the new. Little cheat. 39, three times nine is 27. Okay? How many of you, honestly, this will be a little bit humbling for some of you long timers. How many of you just learned something today? Thank you. I appreciate the honesty. Okay, so, so... If this is this, shouldn't we know how many books are in here? And how many are in the old and in the new, if you want to look at it two sides? It's important. It matters. It matters. Things like that matter. It's not just good for VBS and children's church, right? Because the more you are educated about the Bible, the more confident you become in using it. It's about confidence, proficiency, skill. Okay, so part of that is just getting generally educated. We saw before that that some of the reasons people don't get into the Bible, honestly, let's just be honest, we're lazy or we're comfortable. 
My life is good. I live in Ojai. I have a job. I have retirement. I'm not sick. My, you know, overall, life is G-O-O-D. So we don't feel the need to get up and train. We don't need to, you know, I'm good. How's life? I'm good, bro. You and your word? Nah, not so much anymore. But what happens when crisis hits? Where's that Bible? Anyone seen my Bible? Where's my Bible? Right? Prayer life goes up. You're back here on Sunday. Why? Because there's a need. Well, according to the Bible, we are in a war 24-7. You just don't know when it's coming. Right? That's not fear. That's just reality. So we talked about spiritual apathy, complacency, laziness, just we're comfortable in Ojai, SoCal. It's real. I get it. It's real, right? We also saw that some of us are reluctant or maybe straight up refuse to accept the truth that you're, you're, you're called to be a teacher and a disciple maker. It's not just for me, the hired gun or the elders and the pastors. In some capacity, every believer is called to the Great Commission. And part of the Great Commission is teaching them to obey everything that I, right? In some capacity, even if it's a parent to a child, peer to peer, you are a teacher. So you need to be equipped. Okay? It's not just, it's not just a pastoral mandate. Every believer, Colossians 3, right? Teaching one another. Do you accept that responsibility? What do you do with that? What do you do with that, right? And so we looked at that, and, and Stephen Cole says this. So many Christians are haphazard and lazy rather than diligent in their approach to God's word. They don't systematically read, study, or memorize it. If they read it at all, they jump from passage to passage, pulling verses out of context. They aren't seeking to know God and how he wants them to think, to believe, and to relate to others. Their lives and relationships are falling apart, but they don't search diligently to discover what God's word tells them to do about these problems. Quite honestly, a lot of us in the church, when things hit, we look for someone, to, someone else to tell us. We're in, we don't first go to the scripture ourselves, you know, we go to a podcast, we, we find a book, we try to, and I'm not saying there's nothing, there's not necessarily wrong with going to other resources, other than the fact that you have the resource, yourself, and you have the same Holy Spirit that I do, but there's this weird dependency, this weird like, oh, you know, I better go call so-and-so, not that oh, oh, mature Christians can't help you, but many of us have become sort of like at a place where we shirk that initial responsibility to study and know it ourselves. And now we're dependent on others and we're sort of living like secondary Christian lives. Hey, what do you think about this? Hey, I need a verse for this. Hey, and we're like, uh, don't you have a Bible? Where's your Bible? Right? It kind of goes back to accepting these responsibilities. It's kind of like, uh, how many of you at this stage in your life, because you've flown so much, how many of you tend to ignore the pre-flight safety demonstration? Anyone? You're, you're fiddling around, you're looking at, you glance up and you know, they pull the cord, breathe into the life vest, you know, should we, should we have to, you know, right? 
Because we, you know, we're so familiar with it and we really kind of don't believe, you know, but, you know, should something happen, you know, you'll pull out that safety card and you start reading the threefold thing that's laminated, right? Suddenly it becomes real, but it's the same thing, right? We, we, we're so familiar maybe with church and there's so many resources coming at you on the web, right? That we're just like, you know, I, sometimes I wonder, am I just like the stewardess? In the event of an emergency, you turn to John 3.16, you know? Well, things will drop from the roof, right? I mean, I just wonder if we just tune it out. And we just go for the ride until we land, you know? It's like Sunday, we It's like Sunday to Sunday, you know? We're just like on the jet, you know? Well air, you know? And I get up here and we do our thing and we're just like, you know... I just don't know. But I share this with you, not to beat you to the head, but I share this with you because I'm with you. And I'm the pastor. You know? It's easy for me here at the church when things are going well to even get comfortable. Even, uh, even with the elders. We have to diligently choose not to just rest and go, oh, well, you know, attendance is good, giving's good. Let's just slide it into cruise control you know, autopilot will be the Tesla of the church. And we just, we just, we don't even have to drive anymore. You know, the, the church can drive itself. We don't even have to be in tune. No. We, myself, personally, us as a board, we have to be intentional. Every time we get together, we meet every other week. This pandemic, we've been meeting every other week for over a year. And we choose to bring the church before God. Even when things are quote-unquote good, it's, it's a choice we make because we understand our absolute dependence on him every day. Okay? And so the word is foundational, right? There's issues, what I call, when it comes to understanding the sword of the spirit, there's, there's heart, what I call heart and hand issues. Now, a hand issues for some of you, again, it might be that you never learned no one ever taught you how to study the Bible. You didn't even know you were allowed to study the Bible. You didn't even know you were allowed to write in the Bible, right? Maybe some of this is brand new to you. You don't know what to read. You didn't know you were supposed to memorize it. Just real practical Bible study, letting the word get into your life. Maybe some of you just were never taught that. I get it. We would love to help you do that, okay? And in fact, next week, maybe the week after, we're going to get real practical on how to help you take up the sword of the Spirit. But I understand Practically, some of you maybe have never sat down and had actually some systematic teaching on how to get to know this for yourself. Totally understand that. Like I said, totally would love to help you with that, okay? But really, a lot of this comes out of the heart. There's a heart issue. There's heart issues that we really need to just be honest about. And as I was preparing for this, I thought, oh, well, Lord... What's another heart issue that maybe prevents us from taking this up as we should? And there's a passage that, that struck me, and it's in Matthew 16. Uh, Jesus has just asked his boys, hey, 
who do people say that I am? Right? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Right? So Jesus says, hey, who do people say I am? Peter makes this like supernatural revelation. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, right on, Pete. Father just showed you that. Way to go. Right? But let's keep reading because something happens right after this that we can learn from. It says in verse 21, Matthew 16, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. What's going on here? What, what, what can we learn from this? Well, it's crazy because in verse 15 to 17, he just made this incredible declaration about Jesus. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus is like, yes, I am, right? And then Jesus says, hey, and by the way, guys, I, got, I must, I must go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be killed. Hey, but I'm going to be raised from the dead three days later. And Peter goes ballistic. Now, this is Peter who just said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says something he doesn't like. He doesn't like. Now, he may be coming out of a place of affection and love for Jesus. Oh, I don't want to see you suffer. But the truth is, he didn't like what Jesus said. And in fact, he disliked it so much, me and Bill are good, we, that the Bible says he brings, takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him. Now, get the word, get, get the, we'll come on the camera here. I don't know if they, so get this. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. No way, Jose. <laughs> what just happened? Thank you. See, we can say many things about God and Jesus. But what happens when the word of God says something to us in our own life that we don't really like and is convicting? And doesn't resonate with our comfort level. And reveals sin. And requires obedience, which requires painful change. No way, Jose! What's going on? In one breath, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I declare this doctrinal truth about you. But now you're touching my life and my opinions and my feelings. And I'm rebuking you. You see the heart issue here? Who's Lord? Who's Lord? I just wonder in our life. Are we truly submitted to the authority of Scripture? 
See, you can come here. We have a statement of faith, and many of you agree with it. You wouldn't be here, I'm guessing, if you didn't. And there's a lot that you would agree with about the Bible, about God, about the Trinity, about salvation by grace through faith, not by works. There's a lot that we would uniformly agree about. But what about when it hits home and now it's about your life? And you don't like that I'm not to worry and I'm to forgive 70 times 7. And I'm called to use my gifts in the church. Who's Lord at that moment? What choice are you going to make? Are you going to submit? Or are you going to rebuke? Because it's not in line with your plans or what you think is best. Again, I'll give Peter the benefit of the doubt that his reaction was because he loved Jesus and didn't like him, the idea or the picture of him being suffering and being killed. But in the midst of Jesus' reaction, I mean, Peter's reaction, he missed the I'll be raised again part. <laughs> so question, when it comes to you and the sword of the spirit, specifically chrema moments, when God speaks to your heart and it doesn't necessarily feel good at the time, doesn't jive with your opinions, your feelings. Is he still Lord? Is it still truth? Is it still authoritative? You see, if we're going to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, it's the whole Word of God, not the parts that I like. And then the other parts I just dismiss. We can't do that. We can't do that. Now, I've been in ministry 30 years, and I'll be very honest with you, there are parts of the Bible, yeah, they're uncomfortable. They're, they're challenging. There are things I read when God, you know, literally pierces my heart about an issue in my life, and I just go, ah. Really? Right? I think for me, instead of rebuking the Lord, I go, really? I, 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 that's me. Anyone ever, everyone ever have a kid? You ask them to do something, what do they go? Really, Mom? Really? Right? That's my rebellion, sort of like, really, God? I got to forgive? Really? Really? Would anyone here join me in the really club? Thank you. Thank you. Cindy, thank you. I appreciate it. At least I'm not alone in the really club. Really? Right? But if God is good, careful now, and if all the time, well, then why I'm like, why do I go, really, if he's good? You see? It's a heart issue. It's a belief. If, if, it's, if he speaks, everything is for my good. He's always good, desiring my good. Then even when he pierces my heart with the rim of scripture, it's good. Amen? It's for my good. Right? It might feel like vegetables at dinner all over again. Really? Really, mom? I got to eat them all? How about half? Right? Okay, how many of you 
learn the secret of scooting the vegetables and hiding them in various places so you don't have to eat all the vegetables, or, right? That's our nature. That's our nature is try to weasel out of stuff, right? And, and I just share with this with you that, that when I read this, and I'm like, okay, if we're called to be swordsmen and swordswomen, we got to settle the issue that it's all the word of God. And it's all good all the time. And it's for our good. And so maybe, maybe this morning you felt like you've maybe hit a plateau or you're struggling, like you're doing a lot of church stuff but you're not maturing or you've hit a wall or maybe you're going backwards. I don't know where you are spiritually, but maybe you're just feeling kind of stuck, kind of blah, kind of apathetic, kind of complacent, kind of good to go, cruise control. You know why you might be there? Because you're not doing what you need to do in other areas. And you've kind of settled with the verses and you're kind of calling it good. You're kind of calling it good. Right? Because he, here's the thing. Sometimes in our Christian life, we somehow have morphed Christianity into mostly meaning stop doing bad things and be a better moral person. Okay, I'm looking out here, and I know many of you at home are good people, nice people, very moral people. How many of you in your life as a whole would say you are a better person after having to come meet Jesus? Anyone? You're better. Just, I'm not, that's not negative. You're just a better moral person, right? That's all good, and I celebrate that, but that is not following Jesus, Following Jesus is not about being a better moral person. That might happen, but following Jesus is about following Jesus. <laughs> because see, if I define and limit my view of Christianity and following Jesus to being a better moral person, what happens when I feel like I've landed at being that better moral person? Push the cruise control button. Because I've arrived, and now I'm just waiting to go to heaven because I'm a good moral person, better than I was before I became a Christian, okay? What I inadvertently do is I slide into the scriptures, and I live in this world of morality, but somehow I forget that there's a whole other part of scripture that says, uh, great commission, go and make disciples, uh, stewardship, use your gifts in the church, there's a whole other parts of the Bible that have nothing to do with me being a good moral person and everything to do with kingdom. And you know what? The thing that, that gets us uncomfortable is that I like this. I'm comfortable here. This makes me real scared and uncomfortable. God might have me share my faith, my testimony. He might actually call me in my giving. He might want me to serve in a ministry which will disrupt my Sunday morning service routine. It's the whole enchilada, guys. Following Jesus is just following Jesus. Amen? This is what we've got to do. If we're going to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, it's the whole Word. It's got to be the whole Word. You've got to embrace it. You've got to embrace. You've got to hold the whole sword. You know, imagine a soldier saying, well, I don't really like this part of the sword. Can I just use this part of the sword? It's like, what are you thinking, dude? It doesn't work that way. 
We have to use the sword in the way it's designed. We have to use the sword in the way it's designed. It's the whole counsel of God. So, for example, if someone comes to you and they're trying to make this biblical, you know, they're they're trying to use verses and perhaps the verses are being used out of context, what do you do? You look at it in context of the whole word of God. We're going to talk about this more next week, some practical helps on taking up the sword of the spirit. But here's the thing. If I'm just spiritually comfortable and living in, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and I'm avoiding the parts that I don't like, I can spend weeks and weeks up here teaching you how to study this and how to memorize it, but you're not going to do it. It's just going to be more information, right? It's just going to be more information I've shared with you before. My heart for you pastorally is, you know, there's, I live in this, this weird tension of how we do church, a big church, I consider this a huge church, in America and maybe other countries is every Sunday you expect more information from me or whoever's up here. You expect the next sermon in the series. And so you come and you've taken notes and you're like, okay, and then you come on a Sunday like, oh, you know, I'm ready for the sermon and here I am, I prep a whole week to give you something new and in the back of my mind, I'm like, what did you do with the salt sermon? What did you do with the salt sermon? That was just seven days ago. Are you more salty? Did you, did you actually do something? Now, I know Bill told me someone took it to heart. And, and, you know, some people, hello, if you're in Minnesota. Hello, if you're watching from Minnesota. I'm sorry I missed you. Um, but they took it to heart and had a wonderful ex- experience at, at a restaurant using the salt. You know, it was a great end to the waitress, right? Uh, and, and he... Heard, I just heard a sermon on salt and, I, yeah, and poured out the salt. So, um, <laughs> he did something. I celebrate that. He heard and he did. He heard and he did. That's my heart. That's why it's like, why do you go so slow there? Why do, you, why do we just like, why do you, and then you do a review. And then it's like, why, why don't you give us something new every Sunday? I'm like, I'm wondering what you did with last Sunday's. And the Sunday before, and the Sunday before, and the Sunday before. That's my heart. Is that you're literally taking this up and doing something with it. That's where you're going to grow. And again, you know, the way we do church and because of the internet and everything, we have equated spiritual maturity with data gathering. The more data I know The more sermons I listen to, the more conferences I go to, I must be a mature Christian. Thank you. I mean, you're just an engorged Christian. Right? So I just want to encourage you, you know, um, we just got to slow down. Even this, you know, I'm like, Dude, look at all these pages I didn't even get to. I'm like, well, I'll pick up next week. Because our heart here for you is just to love Jesus. And the way you're going to love Jesus is really to follow him. And how do we follow him? His word. Right? There's powerful 
truths. Eileen, we'll, we'll end with these. Go back to John 17, 17, those three. Look at this. Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. In the New Living, it says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's our heart. We want you to be transformed. It's going to be by us teaching you faithfully the word of God and, and sort of having an expectation that you're going to do something with it. That you're going to let the Holy Spirit speak application, speak truth and application into your life for your specific situation. It's not cookie cutter. It's your situation. That's, why, that's what we do as shepherds is we want to help you receive, understand, and apply the word of God into your specific situations. It's not cookie cutter here. Okay? So... Next week, we'll, we'll pick up, and again, it got a little bit disjointed because I wanted to spend, I didn't know I was going to spend so much time on the COVID issue, but I thought that was, that's important. I would encourage you this week, if you say, well, what do I do with this? Here's a question. Eileen, we'll just ask, put up the first question. Here's a foundational question. Am I submitted to the authority of Scripture in my life? Is there an area where I'm resisting God's truth and commandments, where my opinion, feelings, thoughts override God's word? Think back to Jesus and Peter. Yeah, there's a, I celebrate many of you affirm biblical truths, foundational, yes. The question is, is God speaking to you and it's just like, oh, I don't know if I like that one. Oh, man, now you're hitting too close to home. Oh, stay there. Stay right there. Because that might be the next place of your spiritual growth, which begins with your first of, okay, I yield. Your spirit, your, for, for many of you here and you're at home, key phrase, key word for you in your next step of spiritual growth, I yield. I surrender. I submit to whatever he's speaking through his word to you. Do you yield? Do you surrender? Do you trust that God is good all the time as he speaks to you through his word? Father, thank you thank you for our time this morning and father in speaking about the sword of the spirit it would be real easy to jump into real practical steps and practical things to do but you just so impressed upon me that it begins in the heart and I think about Peter and in one moment, he makes a, a supernatural declaration that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then in the very next moment, he's rebuking you, Jesus, because he didn't like what you said. And so, Father, this morning, I pray for my brothers and sisters, even, even just myself. Father, is there something in my life, is there something in our lives that we are struggling with? 
It's truth, it's your word, it's good, it's for our good. But if we're honest, right now, we're struggling with it. We're resisting it. Like Peter, we want to rebuke. Maybe we have a really moment. What, what is it, Father? Where, where are we resisting? Where are we not yielding? Where are we not submitting to the authority of your word? What is the area in our life that is hindering further growth? Father, you know each one here. You know each one listening online. I know. So I'm going to ask you to do what only you can do through the spirit of truth is to speak truth. And to allow us this time uh, before we take communion to confess, to examine our lives, to receive your forgiveness for our lack of submission for our resistance, for our rebuking of you in these areas. I think about the example of Jesus. Luke 22, he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. So, Father, if there's a nevertheless moment right now for one person, even just one, that would say, Father, but nevertheless, I yield in this area of forgiveness. I yield in this area of service. I yield in this area of finances. I yield in this area of bitterness. I yield in this area of fear and anxiety and worry. I yield in this area of anger. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I yield and submit. In the best way, I just yield. I yield. As we sing this song, there are communion cups in the seats right directly in front of you. You can take communion as you will in your time after a time of prayer and examination. And do it in remembrance of Jesus. Do it in, in a moment of nevertheless following his example.